1: You're listening to the Impact Theory Podcast, your source of empowering ideas and actionable techniques from the world's highest achievers. Join host Tom Bilyeu, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of the billion-dollar brand Quest Nutrition, on a journey to unlock your potential and realize your vision of success. Welcome to Impact Theory.
0: Tonight, we're pleased to welcome Tom the co-founder of Quest Nutrition, a company dedicated to good tasting food that is also good for you. They started with nutrition bars, a small team and some rolling pins, and have expanded into cereal bars, powders, chips, snacks, and pasta. In a very short period of time, Tom and his team have built and scaled an enduring brand and culture. Tom is an advocate of the power of entrepreneurship to transform your life by changing your mindset, which makes him an ideal guest for our series. He is the visionary behind Inside Quest, Quest Nutrition's online interview show. And his most recent uh, um, uh, online platform is Impact Theory, which creates content and incubates companies around transformation through entrepreneurship and
1: training mindset. Pleasure to be it's here. Here. Pleasure. For being here. Have a seat. Yeah, it's crazy to be on the other side. Not well, gosh, I guess a lot of years ago now. I used to be sitting on that side at USC. So fight on for all fight,
0: fight on. Love it. Love it. Didn't tell them you're alum. We're yeah. gonna get into all that. Um, how long ago were you here?
1: I Not gra- to... yeah, no, let's get into it. So I graduated in ninety-eight. Oh, you're a young guy. Yeah. <laughs> young guy, <laughs> we'll sneak it under the wire. Oh, that is—it's great to have you. have you—have you talked here before? I have not. No, this is my first time. So nice. Uh, yeah, it's pretty trippy. Pretty trippy. The—the, <laughs> what—what's
0: funny is like you know we always talk about sort of the Trojan Network and how we get people to school. This
1: one is a lesson in cold calling. Lauren Rinky. Yeah, literally reached out to me blind on LinkedIn, and uh, like I'm a huge believer in the power of social media. And uh, Every now and then, you'll find somebody that, that is just religious about it, and I'm super religious, and, and we've got some of the team over there uh, killing it, and you know, we really look at that stuff. It's really me. If, you know, if somebody responds to you in my name, it actually is me. Um, so yeah, reach out. You, it never hurts to ask, how uh, edgy can we be in this class, by the way? Be completely candid, and if, if you right. do say something that you
0: regret later, we'll edit it out. And we'll right. never, I, I we'll doubt never go I'll online. regret it. You
1: guys <laughs> may be mortified, but um, one of the best pieces of advice that I got out uh, not too long after I got out of college was, "You don't get laid if you don't ask." <laughs> and and the guy that told me that was my boss at the time. It's hilarious. He's like, "Guy, guy, listen, listen, listen. You don't get laid if you don't ask." And I thought, "Wow, you're super creepy," but that's really good advice. <laughs> So I thought, ah, it's actually true. So yeah, you never know. It never hurts to ask. He <laughs> um, actually talked like that, by the way. It's a true story. Uh,
0: good night, everybody. Thank yeah. you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: yeah. Peace. I, I've loved teaching here for all these years. Um, so let's, we want to take people a little bit on your path, and then we'll dive Inside Quest. We'll dive into, um, uh, into uh, Quest Nutrition, obviously. But we want to get to your philosophy, which I think is is interesting. And uh, uh, so do you mind if we sort of just go back and trace your your life a little bit? So where did you grow up? How big of a family? What did your parents do?
1: Um, So I grew up in Tacoma, Washington, which is about an hour south of Seattle, which when I was growing up, nobody had ever heard of Tacoma. Everybody thought Seattle was the state. They didn't know that Washington was the state. I hope people are a little more keen now, but um, my own wife, who uh, comes from England, did not know that Washington was the state. She assumed that I meant Washington, D.C., uh, which always mortified me. So growing up in a relatively small town, um, coming to L.A. was like, you know, I wanted to get to the big city and and really make my mark. My parents sort of teetered between white collar and blue collar. And for a while, my dad was a purchasing manager. And then for a while, he was a mechanic. And so they taught me to be a really good employee, to keep my head down, do as little work as possible, and avoid punishment at all costs. And and that really was my upbringing. And at one point, I considered myself the king of remedial jobs. And it's something that I said with pride. And I would only interview for jobs where I knew I would get the job, that I would be smarter than the person that I was interviewing with. Um, which is a really bad strategy, by the way, and is absolutely a race to the the middle. Um, so, yeah, I don't suggest it, but that's where I started. What what kind of jobs did you have when, as a kid? Well, my favorite um, was I briefly, well, as a kid, I started in a door factory, so that was my first job. My parents would let me have a Nintendo, which really pissed me off. Um, so to, they said if I wanted it, I had to buy it with my own money, so I took a job in my uncle's door factory when I was 12. Talk about child labor laws, everybody, uh, to earn enough to buy my Nintendo. And then as soon as I had made enough, uh, I quit, which is also another bad strategy. Um, so, But I got my Nintendo, which was very exciting. And that was my first job. I worked at um, the Tacoma Sportsman's Club, which is like a firing range. So I was the guy, when you said pull, that pressed the button and actually would walk out and they teach you. like, If you guys don't know, buckshot is actually really hot. And so they teach you to, like, pin your clothes around your collar because if they track back fast enough, they actually track back to you. Uh, and so sometimes you get the buckshot raining down on you. That's, that's another uh, alarm bell should go off when you're applying for jobs where they tell you about that. Um, and then out of college, that was when things really got bright and rosy for me and I sold video games retail. That was with a degree. Uh, that was horrifying. <laughs> but my favorite, the one that I was about to tell you guys, was... Uh, my mom called me one night, in the, or one day in the middle of the day, and I was sleeping. She's like, why are you sleeping? I said, oh, I got a new job. Oh, really, what do you do? Uh, I'm a driver. What do you drive? People. People? Where, this is way before Uber. Uh, where are you driving people? Oh, to their jobs. You're driving people to their jobs. What kind of people? Models. What kind of models? Lingerie models. Oh my god, you're driving escorts. And my mom like freaks out. And of course, long story short, it was actually true. And I hadn't, I hadn't done my first day on the job yet, and so she guilted me, and I never did it. So I almost drove escorts, which that, that, that was my very humble beginnings. It's a lot in a, in a short period of time. Right? We've just gotten started, man. Wait till we yeah. get to the good stuff. And
0: how many, how many kids in your family?
1: Uh, just me and my sister. So
0: two kids. Uh, older or younger? Older. Okay. And... Um, Dreams as a kid, What did you you dream of being something, doing something when you were a kid?
1: Yeah, so growing up, a chubby kid in Tacoma, there were two things that I knew about myself. One day I would be rich, and I would have six-pack abs. Now, I had no idea how I was going to pull it off, but literally the one thing I would give myself, I always did have a vision for where I wanted to end up. Um, I didn't always have clarity on how I was going to get there, but that, like, as I track back and think about the steps that I've taken, and, um, you know, you called it a training mindset, that I've always had the willingness to figure things out, to grow, to learn, to push myself. Um, So yeah, my life it's not an accident that I started a nutrition company when that was one of the major challenges that I had to overcome in my own life. I used to be 60 pounds heavier. I grew up in a morbidly obese family. I had an uncle uh, that died of obesity-related complications when I was young. I mean, just this has always been a part of my life. And then as a child of the 80s, if you didn't aspire to be rich, like, what were you doing? So like that was just two things that I always knew were going to happen.
0: And they were clear for it. It's interesting, you know, the, the things that you say to yourself, especially as a kid when you're sort of forming your identity, um, they're so powerful and they're ingrained in there. So, you know, when you grow up without money, particularly, um, you know, you come to a school like this, it's very easy to get motivated um, because there's certainly plenty of uh, incentives you know, and examples of people who have done well in life. Um, so that was ingrained. I want to be wealthy and, and I'm going to be in good shape. So that's pretty interesting that early on you had a very, you know, significant, you know, why as one of your guests, Simon Sinek, uh, would say start with why. Um, so, uh,
1: h- uh what made you decide on USC and what you study here? So USC was, I'm, I'm profoundly lazy and that's something that people really don't believe about me cause I work so hard. But what you have to understand is, um, I am the result of what happens when you believe you can do anything you set your mind to, regardless of where you start. Uh, so I'm not a born entrepreneur. I am very much a made person. Like anything that I've ever accomplished in my life, it has been overcoming laziness or you know undereducation or whatever the case may be. Um, so growing up lazy, my dad had asked one of his friends, and my friend, my son, excuse me, my son is really interested in film, and this guy knew something about Hollywood. I don't remember how. Um, what, what's the best film school? And he said, oh, that's easy. USC is the best film school in the world. He should go there. And so because of that, I literally applied to one state school, where all my friends were going to go, and then I applied to USC, and that was it. And because that he said it was the best, and originally I was going to apply to USC and to NYU, but I, I thought, well, if USC is the best, I'll apply there first. And then by the time I'd finished the application, I was so bored, and it was so tiring. That I was like, I can't be bothered to do the NYU one, so I never applied there. So if I hadn't gotten in, and if you guys know, like, first of all, statistically, at least when I was applying, statistically, you were more likely to get into Harvard Law than USC Film School. So when I got here, I didn't realize that it was different to be accepted to the university versus being accepted to the film school. So I got here and started taking classes like I was already in film school. And so they pull you aside, the counselors, and are like, don't do that. Because statistically speaking, you're just never going to get in, and these are all going to be wasted credits. And I was like, no, 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 you don't understand, like it'll be all good. And so they were literally freaking out. And the first time I applied, I got rejected, and then I was like, oh, shit, like, what if they're right? Like, could I really be in trouble here? And so then I had to get pretty desperate and figure out like what was going to be my, my end to get in, and that's a whole other story. But They ultimately got in, and that was my degree. And uh,
0: so were you always a fan of, of movies? Was that what oh, drew yeah. you to that? Or, yeah, yeah. or did you want to make money through films or both?
1: So filmmaking to me was the, the only thing as you know, a kid growing up in Tacoma that I could see was the intersection between my passion for artistry. And if I could have made a living as a poet, I probably would have. Um, but that is, I mean, I guess I'm listing now all of my bad strategies. I used to be the guy that would show up on the first date with flowers and a poem written just for that person, which that's why the guy had to tell me, hey, you don't get late if you don't ask, because he could see that I was really struggling in that department. Um, so, you know, really saying, okay, if I'm going to be rich, like, what's the intersection of art and commerce? And film seemed like the obvious answer, and I had a real passion for it. Um, and you know this is back in the day when camcorders rested on your shoulder, uh, but started playing with cameras early on and, and really fell in love and Filmmaking to me is is the ultimate experiment in psychology, and to the uh, neuroscientists over there, I began an early obsession with the brain and understanding neuroscience and realizing how powerful that is, and feeling like I had been a victim of my own brain and really wanting to take control of it. And you know, one of the things that fascinates me about filmmaking is how much it relies on an understanding of not only neurology. Um, but also biology, like how the ear responds to sound and how there's a muscle in your ear that contracts and actually makes volume go uh, more quiet as things are very loud. And so if you don't understand that, um, you won't understand how audiences are really taking things in. And if you don't understand from an evolutionary perspective why we trace motion, why we look for patterns, how we react to danger, like what the physiological responses are, you won't be able to orchestrate their emotions. And so filmmaking for me was about literally becoming a Jedi. And that, that is my obsession. And if you guys follow me socially, and I don't, in fact, how many of you have heard of me before 10 minutes ago? OK, so virtually nobody. So, uh, Which is great. Only, only can go up from here. Um, if you follow me socially, one of the things you'll see is that I'm, I, I think in movie terms that movie term, or movies really changed my life. And, and two that have had just a tremendous impact on me, The Matrix. Uh, which is the defining movie for my life, and then the Star Wars trilogy. And if you guys know how the original Star Wars trilogy was based on Joseph Campbell's um, work, The Hero with a Thousand Faces and The Power of Myth, um, those things really, really had just a tremendous impact on me. And so... You know, going into that and and really learning the importance of that stuff and wanting to become a Jedi and thinking in those movie terms and understanding that mind control isn't about these are not the droids you're looking for. It's not about necessarily influencing other people. It's really about influencing yourself. And I actually think it was um, um, Da Vinci who said the greatest form of mastery is mastery over oneself. And I really took that to you know, to my core and began to try to learn about the mind in order to just master myself. And you mentioned uh, the the Matrix. Anybody seen the Matrix? I
0: always got to check. I always got a check. There for a second. I got to check because, you know, these guys were born 18 years ago, 20 years ago. That's crazy. Tell tell us why the Matrix was
1: particularly, you know, sort of uh, insightful and transformative for you. So The Matrix for me is is an allegory for the human experience. So when the movie came out, it was I'd graduated in 98. This was in 99. I assumed I would go to USC film school. I would graduate. I would get the three-picture deal. I would be rich within five years of graduation. And it would all make sense. And I graduated. There was no three-picture deal. Nobody knew who the hell I was. And I had no idea how to break in. Social media did not exist. Movies were incredibly expensive. Like, even if you were going to make a dirt cheap film, you were going to have to raise $100,000. And I just didn't have that. There was no one in my family that had that kind of money. There was no one in my family who knew people that had that kind of money. And the thesis film that I made as a senior, if you guys still know the 480 film, uh, which is really coveted. Only four people a year get to make one. I got to make one. And so I literally, going into my 480, I thought, I am the shit. Like I am going to walk out of this place. I'm going to own this motherfucker. And <laughs> I, I was, my final film was so bad that it was like just on epic levels. And I felt like such a failure. And so literally, my senior year, I'm laying on the ground. This is back when Payphone still existed. The Payphone was stretched to the end of its cord so I could lay on the ground, like in the middle of that main thoroughfare. And I'm on the phone to my mom calling back home. And I just said, like, what am I going to do? Like, I, I'm just, I've totally failed. And now I'm going to go into the big bad world. And I've got no thesis film that I would ever show anybody. I stole the master to my thesis film. So you can't watch it. You could literally go right now and say, oh my god, this guy came. I want to see his thesis film. They can show you George Lucas's thesis film, but not mine, because I stole it. Because <laughs> I was so terrified that anybody would ever see this thing, because it was so bad. So the, imagine me, I, I'm sitting in the theater for The Matrix, and I got a like pre-screening ticket, and I don't know what I'm going to do with my life, I feel utterly hopeless, I feel like I could do more, I could be more, but I felt trapped, but I didn't know what I was trapped by. So I had this like, unending sense of, I'm wasting my life, I have all this potential, I really feel like I could do something, but I'm doing something wrong and I don't know what it is. And, when the movie stars, and I don't know if you guys were old enough to see it in the theaters, probably not, but that moment where he go, the cop says to Agent Smith that, you know, I think they can handle one little girl, and he says, no, officer, your men are already dead. And then they cut to Trinity, and she does that jump into the air. Everyone in the theater screamed and started clapping. It was the most surreal movie-going experience I've ever had in my life. And then you've got Morpheus saying, you know, he goes, Neo asks Morpheus, are you telling me that I can dodge bullets? He says, no, Neo, when you're ready, you won't have to. And I had the fucking chills. And then you got the kid, there is no spoon, and then Neo reminds himself there is no spoon, and then in the end, he stops the bullets, says no, pulls one out of the air and drops it, and then he sees the world for what it is, which is Matrix code. And in that moment, he realizes this is all a construct. And if you remember, I have the chills right now. If you remember nothing else, I promise you, the world is a construct. You've made it up. You guys have all pulled a web of lies over your own eyes. And you don't realize everything you choose to believe about the world and yourself is totally made up. And once you believe it, once you recognize it's all a lie, that you can begin to tell yourself lies that are empowering. So instead of telling myself, that I was smart, which wasn't serving me, I told myself that I learned faster than other people. Now imagine how that changed my life. I went from being the king of remedial jobs because I was absolutely terrified of somebody being smarter than me, because that was a forever state. And however dumb I was, I was that dumb forever. And so I didn't want to face that. So I would put myself only in situations where I would shine, and then I flipped that. No, 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 you learn faster than other people. Human potential is limitless. You can learn anything you set your mind to. Anything you want to do, you can accomplish. With enough focus, energy, and time, you can do anything you want. Now, maybe it's all a lie. But I took myself from scrounging in my couch cushions to find enough change to put gas in my car to building a billion-dollar brand. So you tell me if The Matrix is real. (laughs) Real. And that, that movie changed my life, and I walked out of that thinking I'm never going to be the same because I get it now. I see that the world's just matrix code.
0: How many people are going to go watch the Matrix?
1: I, I got to go watch it again. No, but oh, man, yeah, yeah,
0: take the red pill. Uh, red pill. It's you know, I think things hit you differently at different times of life. You know, you're ready when you're ready, and that's what we're trying to do. Is is I think we're, we're going to talk about limiting beliefs because that was a great segue into it, but you know, if you didn't have to struggle and try and figure it out for however many, you know, you're younger than I am, but, you know, for 20, 30 years and you, you know, there's some things that you're going to have to burn your own finger on the stove for. You're going to have to learn through mistake. But there's some things that if you can break through now, you're going to spare yourself 10, 20 years of fears, insecurities. You no, know, there's no secret way to wipe them away, obviously. But truly, if you can even just improve your self-talk, and change your limiting beliefs, you're going to live a much better life and you're going to accomplish much more. Um, so that's sort of what we're here for. And I'm so glad that you sort of have that, that perspective. Let's talk about your, your company. Well, first, let's talk about, so after you get out of school, you do some jobs, you're, um, you, tell us about your first startup, Awareness Technologies.
1: Yeah, so I was teaching filmmaking. Um, and I met these two guys. They came into my class. They were bodybuilders. And they were successful entrepreneurs. And I thought, six-pack abs and money. Like, I've got, you know, I've got to pay attention to these two. And a lot of people had come to the class and said, oh, man, we're going to work together one day. Like, I'm going to finance your film. And it just never came to anything. So when they were saying the same stuff, I thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then about three months after they graduated the program, they hit me up and said, you know, we've got this startup company. And we want you to come be a copywriter. And, you know, you're coming to the world with your handout. And, excuse me, that's, that's a, you know, a bad strategy. And if you want to be an artist, you've got to control your destiny. You have to control the money. And so we'll teach you about entrepreneurship. We'll teach you about business. And you, you know, it's a startup. So you can have any job in the company that you want. Don't think of yourself as a copywriter. That's just the tuition that you have to pay. Look at the problems that we face as a company. Help us overcome those. You can have any job you want. You just have to become the right person for that job. We're not just going to give it to you because you're here. But if you learn that skill set, then you can have the role. And so I was just young enough, just dumb enough to take them at their word. I came into the company as a copywriter, and eight and a half years later, through sweat equity, I never invested a dime. Through sweat equity, I had become a 10% owner in the company and the chief marketing officer. Um, And and that just came from literally a a level of work that most people will say is inhuman. Um, And, you know, we all have a superpower, and my superpower is the willingness and ability to suffer. Um, and and like really really by the way that's something you cultivate so I didn't have that as a kid um, there was a point in my life where I would stay in bed for upwards of three hours because it was warm in bed and it was cold outside of bed uh, and I once interviewed Jocko Willink you guys know who Jocko Willink is uh, he wrote this book called Extreme Ownership each and every one of you are required by law to read it um, and and that's true by the way and I'm going to throw out nuggets here and. Uh, if you actually want to do something with your life, you will follow up on them, and I know most people won't, and that, that like is so crazy to me. But anyway, read the book Extreme Ownership. When I was interviewing Jocko, who's a um, Navy SEAL, and I admitted that I said, you know, I, I would lay in bed for three hours because it was warm in bed and cold outside. And he said, don't worry, we'll let you cut that out of the interview. I said, I don't want to cut it out. I want people to understand. Like it doesn't matter where you are today. It doesn't matter where you start. It matters where you want to go, who you want to become and the price you're willing to pay to get there. And the truth is, I'm just willing to pay a price that's higher than anybody else to get where I wanna go. And so my willingness and ability to suffer, I cultivate it. And by the way, you talk about self-talk. What I'm doing right now is reinforcing my beliefs. Telling you the story about the matrix reinforces it in my mind. Telling you that my superpower is a willingness to suffer reinforces it in my own mind. Um, I could be telling myself a very different story, that I was lucky that those two guys walked in to my class, that I was lucky that they offered me a job, that I was lucky that somebody gave me an opportunity to learn, that I had people to teach me. And I am. And those are true. But to focus on that doesn't help me. right? To reinforce luck in my mind doesn't help, because there's nothing I can do about that. I can't make myself lucky. But I can reinforce that luck is when preparation meets opportunity, right? because I can control the preparation. So what you say to yourself, the things you repeat, like, what's up, homegirl? Uh, the things that you repeat, like they really become who you are, and they, they will become what you're capable of. And if you guys know Tony Robbins, he's A, he's super powerful. Don't dismiss him as a motivational speaker because he's, he's an incredible human being and has so many powerful uh, pieces of ideology. But, you know, he, he talks about that a lot, and he says, I am unstoppable because I decide I am. And that's it. And such is true for me. I've, you know, decided that I can do this stuff, and therefore I can. Great lessons. I wanna, I w- I do want to dive into
0: self-talk even more. Um, let's finish with awareness technology. What, what did they do, actually?
1: I, I didn't remember what the company So we did. made um, security software, if you guys have ever heard of data loss prevention. Um, so there was a red hot minute where people were super concerned about people emailing things out. Sarbones-Oxley put a lot of requirements on companies about what was happening with personally identifiable information, credit card data, customer records. Um, so we were locking the computer down, essentially, making it so you couldn't send things out. and. It was super boring. and We didn't use it in our own company, and all of those were bad signs.
0: And what uh, what happened to the company?
1: Uh, we ended up selling it. So uh, about six and a half years in, I went through a total crisis where I had been focusing since I was, you know, 12 or 13 on getting rich, and that was my mantra. is what I repeated to myself. And I used to say, I'll, I'm willing to do anything to get rich. And then I realized, okay, that's not true. But I'm willing to do anything within my code of ethics to get rich and then i realized even that wasn't true but i didn't realize that until i'd hit emotional rock bottom and i was making more money than i'd ever made and i was you know i had ownership in this company which had you know millions of dollars of value and i realized no i'm not willing to do this anymore um i've got to quit i've got to do something else and and my wife who's sitting over there said the now famous words to me which is i bet on you and so i went in to my partners and i said i quit I'm handing back your equity. You could sell the company for a billion dollars tomorrow. You never hear from me again. I'm not crossing the finish line. And with my belief system, if I don't cross the finish line, I shouldn't get anything for that. Um, So here's your equity back, and and I'm going to go do something. I'm going to follow my passion. I'm actually going to listen to all these highfalutin people who tell you to follow your passion. I'm going to actually do it. And so uh, I left and was driving back home. And I'm literally pulling into my driveway. And they called up and said, "Um, we could do this without you, but we don't want to and that's what I needed to hear to reconnect to the brotherhood, to the friendship, to have something be more important to me than money. And so we made an agreement that if in the next six months we couldn't hit certain revenue goals, that we would sell the company and build something from the ground up that we were passionate about. Uh, We did not hit those revenue goals, and so we sold the company and all agreed, and we founded Quest for three very different reasons. Um, For me, it was about wanting to help people, having grown up in a morbidly obese family, I wanted to save my mom and my sister. And so it was easy to think about them every day, to put in the hard work, to really do something beautiful for them. Um, And so that was it. And we didn't know if it would work. We didn't know if it would be a big company. We just knew we believed in it. And we knew um, that if we changed the question that we were asking, so instead of asking what will make us the most money, if we started asking what would we love doing every day, even if we were failing, like that was totally different. And I could show up every day and fight for my mom and my sister. Um, and for that, look, I'm not stupid. I knew that there were hundreds of millions, if not a billion plus, people that struggled with food in the same way that they did. Um, but we weren't doing it for that. And we said we're going to build a company predicated on value, and that's it. And if it delivers value, we do it. And if it doesn't, we don't. So we would do things that were less profitable because it delivered more value. And that really became our shtick. And then, of course, that company ends up blowing up. And um, Quest was named as the 42nd fastest-growing company in North America. Uh, we Grew by 57,000% in three years alone. Uh, and that's in manufacturing, by the way. Th- that's just so unheard of. It was just ridiculous. Um, and we understood social media before other people did, knew it was about connection, knew it was about giving people a megaphone and then adding value to their lives and then watching what happens when you've touched them in some way. Um, and so we made more in a day. Like, really think about this for a second by saying I'm not going to think about money anymore, I'm going to think about what I care enough about to become the best in the world at and focus on delivering value, we made more in a day than awareness technologies made annually. has it and with ebay guaranteed fit it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time or your money back plus these prices you're burning rubber not cash keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply
0: let's because they're getting out into the world that some of them are graduating some of our starting companies let's go back to that time of forming it What was the vision for the company? And I mean, you you mentioned the mission. The mission was very personal, uh, and that's always a great thing to connect to because, you know, something's got to pull you through those. I mean, being an entrepreneur is really hard. Really hard. Like, really hard. Like, you know, you're going to hear a lot of successful stories coming through here. For every one of those, there are thousands and tens of thousands that, that, that didn't work out. And the difference between sort of an entrepreneur, and you said you were raised to be a good employee. You weren't raised to be an entrepreneur, which is another great thing to, you know, myth to, to bust is that entrepreneurs are not born. Some are born with different personalities, but you can learn these skills. Um, but uh, the difference between an entrepreneur, you know, is like, do you have the gut? And Gary Vaynerchuk, do you really have the gut to handle just the sick feelings you're going to get when you have to work so hard and things don't go well and you get sued and your products get pulled? You know, it's, there's so many things that, you, that can happen that can go wrong. We couldn't even name them all. Um, so take us back to the early time of starting it and what was, uh, the vision for the company and, and how'd you put the money together originally because everyone thinks I can't start a company cause I don't have enough money.
1: Let's yeah. Yeah. So, um, let's just call bullshit on that. So whatever excuse you have right now, I promise you it's total bullshit. That is the matrix. So what, what. I realized the matrix was is all the little lies that you tell yourself, all the little things you believe about the world. So the only belief that you should have is that human potential is limitless. Okay? Now, once you believe that you can do anything you set your mind to without limitation, how you spend your time becomes a spiritual consideration. Right? Really think about that. That you could, if you chose to end world hunger, you could, if you chose to end malaria. Right? Anybody know Bill Gates and what they're doing on that? Right? It's people who they, they have the audacity to think that big. And it really does the amount of success that you're going to have in your life. And I hate that this is cheesy. And here, if you want to know what haunts me, what haunts me is how rapidly the most powerful ideas become trite. And they become trite because they're so often repeated, and people don't think beyond the words to what's really being said. So like notions about passion, right? It's totally trite. If I sit up here and say, follow your passion, like you will all rightfully dismiss me. Because you just hear the phrase. You're not hearing what it really means. And if you really think about why passion is powerful, passion's energy. And if you follow that back, and by energy, I mean the just fucking energy to get up every day and do it, to deal with getting punched in the face, which the world will do. You know, I sit up here as a, as a success story going from, um, you know, literally dirt poor to being wealthy, um, and it it came at the expense of being punched in the face over and over and over and over, and being betrayed and embarrassing yourself just just an ungodly number of times, and always being willing to to push through all of that. Um, but so the, the excuses that people give all the time about, you know, I don't have the capital to start it, or my family doesn't have any connections, or I don't have any connections, whatever, it, that is total bullshit. And as long as you believe it, you really won't be successful. And so one of the most powerful phrases that has become so trite is whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. Now, I just got the chills from saying that. But I get the chills because I know that that's true. And I know that that's true to the absolute core. So I know when I take that, and guys, the, one of the greatest gifts I could give you would be to open you up to being changed by what you hear, not being affected. Okay? I, I know there's some percentage of you that I'm going to affect tonight, and I'm going to give you the chills a couple times, but I'm looking for the people that I'm going to change. Okay? Every time I open a new book, which technically I don't open, I do almost exclusively Audible, but nonetheless, <laughs> every time I listen to a book, I say to myself in my head, I'm open to being changed by this book, meaning I'm open that by the end of this book, I'll be a fundamentally different human being than I was at the beginning. Now how do you become a fundamentally different human being? How do you go from being not just affected, but being changed? To me, it's about taking action on what you just learned. Okay, so I just gave you one of the most important pieces of information you will ever get in your life, and 40 years from now, you're going to look back and you're going to say, actually, that was that tentpole moment that everything else around my life revolves. And that is, whether you think you can or you can't, you are right. OK, now I take that and I say, I'm going to actually be changed by that. So if I'm going to be changed by that, I'm going to start acting in accordance right now with that belief, which means I'm going to choose to believe that I can do whatever crazy thing it is that other people think is just impossible. right? So for me, you know, I'm this undereducated kid from Tacoma. Only one other kid from my entire school left the state. And I had my sights on becoming wealthy, building a billion dollar brand, like, you know, doing all this grand stuff. Because I chose to believe that. And I wasn't afraid to say it out loud. Like, I'm going to tell you right now, I am going to be the first entrepreneur to have his own Nike shoe. Oh, shit! Right? Now, that's my crew over there. So, like, they've already gone through the, what the, did he really just say that? Like, they've already had that moment. But since I started telling people that, I've actually had three three Nike executives reach out to me, okay? Why? Because I had the guts to say it out loud. Who am I? Nobody knows who I am, but nobody else is saying that, right? Nobody else has got the courage to face the humiliation of the not getting said shoe, right? Which is a way bigger chance than that I actually get the shoe, but I've never been afraid of looking stupid. Okay? I've never been afraid of looking stupid. I don't care if I end up looking stupid. And I don't care if only one of the 100 things that I throw into the universe actually come true. The things that I throw out are so fucking crazy and big that when one of them hits, it's a game changer. So it's about having the audacity to realize that everything you choose to believe will make up your entire world. So if you choose to believe that you're too dumb, that you're too poor, that you're too whatever. Then you will not succeed, and you'll be like, I knew it. I knew it all along that I couldn't do it. And then I'm the flip side of the coin. It'll happen for me, and I'll have the spastically large company, the spastically large house, the Nike shoe with my name on it, and I'll say, I knew it. I always knew it would happen for me. Okay? It's if I had a mic, I would fucking drop it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Bill, you
1: out. Yeah, exactly. Um,
0: well, well, let's stay on limiting beliefs, Since uh, We're okay talking about Quest Nutrition, too. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Okay. Every time deep. I go there, you're like, let's talk about limiting beliefs. So so, so, the, what he quoted you was a, said a Confucius saying, whether a man believes he can or he can't, he's right. Um, whatever you feed yourself is, are your beliefs. And your beliefs will limit you. And in his case, he sets really, really, you know, high goals and aspirations for himself. So has anybody, I don't know if you've heard this, have anybody heard the, the story of Clifford Young? Anyone from Australia? All right, no, one from Australia. Okay, the story of Clifford Young. So this is a story, a real story, don't Google it yet. Uh, you can do that later. So uh, anybody here run like a 10K? What about like a half marathon? Marathon? Nice. Marathon runners? How long? Got a, a mar- couple. They're huh? real okay. fucking shy about it okay. for some reason. How, I how ran long, a marathon, how long is a marathon? over myself. How long is a marathon? Distance, 26 miles, right? 26 miles for a marathon. Has anyone heard of an ultra marathon? How long are those? Okay. In in Australia, they have an ultra marathon. That's 544 miles. It's from uh, Sydney to Melbourne. So. The best athletes in the world go here. The best runners in the world go here. And uh, the day of the race, a man shows up at the registration de- uh, desk, and uh, he registers. He says he wants to register to run this ultra marathon. His name's Clifford Young, and he's in galoshes and overalls. Everybody else is in Nikes, right. the full gear, everything—the running of the best—and he shows up in overalls and galoshes. And they look at him and they're like. Sir, you, you shouldn't do this. It's not healthy for you. Um, and uh said, have you ever run you know, this type of distance? He says, no, but, but I, you know, I, I herd the sheep on the farm. He's a potato farmer. I, I heard the sheep on the farm, so I do some running. And they just implore him not to do it. By the way, he's 67. Wow. <laughs> so the race starts, and everybody runs. And they run all day. And, and so they come out of the gate. And by the way, he doesn't run. He does that walk, that loping walk. So he's like just, and people just blow by him. So all day they run, and they sleep for the minim- minimum amount of time each night. And then they get up and they run, and they do that on, off, on, off. Um, Clifford Young wins by a day and a half. Whoa! Oh. The previous record was nine days. He wins it in seven and a half days. And they go to him, and they say, how is it possible that you could run all day, sleep, and then pass everybody? And he said, I didn't know you were supposed to sleep. <laughs> I love that. Just think of his, what he was saying in his mind. So every day, he caught up a little bit more, caught up a little more. Then he passed them at night, and they never saw him again. This is not. This is not a joke. Look up Clifford Young. He, he. What he did? He won ten thousand dollars for uh, winning it, and just to sort of spite everyone, he gave it to the second and third place winners. Wow. But just goes to show you, like, what you tell yourself and what you think are false beliefs. Like, if you don't know you're supposed to sleep, if you don't know you're not supposed to have a Nike shoe with your name on it, you don't know any better, and you act in accordance with your beliefs. Those are the ceiling of your beliefs. There's so many things in life that. No one thought could be done, and then someone does it, and everyone just goes, that's so obvious. Why didn't we do that before? You know, Think of like, uh, the way people used to high jump. People used to run up and like, jump over like a hurdle. <laughs> and then a guy, Fosbury, created the Fosbury flop. You will go up, and you, you flip over it. Like, so many things have been done that have never been done. So it's exactly in accordance with what we're talking about, is that you set the limits to your own beliefs. And so let's talk about maybe some of the ways that you First you have to change your self talk. You know, so that the the what is easy, you know, you start with your why. In his case, his why for a company wasn't I want to make a lot of money, it was I you know, my my mother and my sister are, are overweight. And so I feel like this is a really important why, like life and death family. Like those types of whys. Do I want to, why do you want to make a lot of money? I'm sure he had reasons for that. Like so some of the reasons you want to be wealthy, for for me it was, you know, I, I wanted to build my house, i would build my family a house as a surprise. I wanted to have a house you know, looking at the water. They're, they're always whys. I want to give money away. Um, so find your why, because the why is way more important than the how. If you start with the how, imagine if he started with the how. How am I going to build a worldwide nutrition company that changes the game on health and nutrition? If he started with the how, he and his, his two friends with very little experience, they would have talked themselves out of it. They would have said, There's no way we can do this. We don't have enough money, we don't have the smarts, we don't have the experience. So don't start with the how, start with the why. Um, so, how, you know, we all have these, we live in our minds. So, great, great point. Um, and we all have the inner monologue that a lot of times we're telling ourselves false stories. And I guess they're all sort of our perception. And who's the biggest critic? But seriously, like, wh- what are you feeding yourself? What are you feeding yourself? I'm not smart enough. I'm not good looking enough. I'm not wealthy enough. All those things that you tell yourself are limiting. So how do you start aligning your self-talk with your beliefs, your habits, and actions so that you can move consistently towards these audacious goals?
1: So for me, everything comes back to identity, right? And if you want to make a change in your life, don't worry about changing habits because chances are you break them. Uh, you really need to change your identity first. And to me, the easiest way to change your identity is to begin to repeat something in your mind that is true of the new identity that you want to have, and then tell, you, tell people that you are that person. Um, so for instance, I, I'm somebody who's always in shape. That's just that's part of me. That's part of my identity. So that, saying that out loud then really forces me to get up every day and go to the gym, even though I don't want to, and I hate going to the gym. Um, but I do it because that there's really two ways to attack the mind. You can go directly to the mind. You can understand the neuroscience of it all, which by the way is critical. And the other is you can go to the body. And I think every bit of research that's going to be coming out is going to show that there really is no separation between the mind and the body, uh, that they're inextricably linked, that the brain is just another organ in a larger ecosystem. Uh, you have neurons in your gut, which is crazy to think about. Uh, so when you have a gut feel, literally you actually have intuition in your gut. Uh, so really beginning to understand the neuroanatomy of it all, and understanding how the repetition works and bringing things back to identity. Um, all of those things are critical. So that's why I work out, but that working out really came from me repeating in my head and then telling other people, I'm somebody who's in shape. And um, which was a lot harder to do before I had a nutrition company, right? Because I'm at a software company saying all this. And I'm 60 pounds heavier and you know, telling people that I'm going to get lean and saying that, hey, I'm the type of person that goes to the gym. And, but then you just start repeating it. And then you have to act in accordance with it or deal with you know, being incongruent between what you're saying and what you do, which people normally can't handle that kind of cognitive dissonance. Um, so they'll, they'll stay to it. But you really have to commit to it. You can't give yourself an exit. But it all starts with identity.
0: It's a a great way of saying it because I actually didn't think of that.
1: I am a person who is always in good shape. It doesn't even give you a choice to go to the gym. Not at all. Because then you have to let go of that piece of identity, right? I guess I'm not a person that's always in shape. And then once you know the game you're playing with yourself, then you accept that I'm demoting my own belief in myself, right? That I I no longer see myself as somebody who's in shape. I see myself as whatever, somebody who's too lazy, somebody who accepts excuses. Like you begin to realize everything you tell yourself is a choice, right? Look at Stephen Hawking. You want to talk about somebody that has just an excuse to do nothing with his life, right? They gave him two years to live. Like why even think about the future? And yet he had some of his biggest breakthroughs, which he credits to the fact that he was losing more and more use of his body, because all that was left was his mind, and he refused to live an unfertile life. So he just went deeper and deeper and deeper into his mind and learned how to really concentrate and focus, and built that ability until where, just through the, you know, the experimental lab of his mind, is able to have some of the biggest breakthroughs in physics. It's incredible.
0: So do you start with awareness of sort of just listening to yourself talk? Because it's, it's, it's tough when your habits are to, you know, be self-deprecating or thinking that humility is you know, the defining trait, and so I'll always deflect uh, compliments and things like that, or I'm not enough, or whatever it is. Where do you start? Do you just start by tuning into your self-talk?
1: Yeah, there's a guy named Daniel Amen, Dr. Daniel Amen, who wrote Making a Good Brain Great, which I really highly recommend that you guys read. And in that, he said, everybody has automatic negative thoughts. And your job, he calls them ants, your job is to crush the ants. And every time they pop up, so like what I do, um, if you ever hear me say something that's a limiting belief, which sometimes, for whatever reason, I'll find necessary to do in a business meeting, because I need to position something a certain way, or if they say it to me, some limiting belief, like, oh, man, we could never do that. And I don't think it's appropriate to say out loud. In my head, I'm not kidding. I will repeat three times. I could do that if I wanted. I could do that if I wanted. I could do that if I wanted, right? Just to not let shit like that inside my mind. And yeah, I mean, it. it you really have to be aware of the things that you're repeating to yourself. You have to become hyper aware of that. Uh, and then I love the adage that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. I'll just extend that to ideas. You're the average of the five ideas you spend the most time with. It just usually comes from the five people that you're hanging out with. But if you're around me, I promise you, I will ridicule you so endlessly for doing shit that does not move you towards your goals, you will rapidly stop doing that. So that's like putting yourself in a pressure cooker. with other, like The crew over there, just go bump against any one of those five and you'll get a little bit better. Because they're so obsessive, I love that only you guys laugh. Uh, they're so obsessive with accomplishment, with um, setting goals and achieving those goals that y- you just can't help but be infected by it. It's, it, you know, who you spend time with matters.
0: And you're right, what you do repeatedly. So, as, as Dr. Fox teaches in his class, one of the first things he starts out was abandon what is unskillful. What you keep doing all the time—that's not effective for you. Like that. You will get the same results if you keep doing the same things. So don't do them for 30 years, like some of us have done. Do them for no more years. Um, you've, you've interviewed, you know, some great people, uh, both uh, at uh, Inside Quest and Impact uh, Theory. Um, uh, some of them have been here: Tony Robbins, uh, Laird Hamilton, Simon Sinek, Tim Ferris Hasn't uh, Tim Ferriss? He just who's who? Give us some of the things that really stick out from these thought leaders that you've incorporated into your philosophy?
1: Yeah, we've already touched on some of the most immediate ones, which are Tony Robbins uh, just has a litany of amazing insights into yourself and and how to take control of that. Um, Simon's start with why is, from a business perspective, is really, really critical. And just to quickly answer the question you asked earlier, we started with $10,000 at Quest. We got profitable from that money. We never took an investment. Um, The only time we finally took some money was to diversify personally. Um, So we grew a billion-dollar brand without any outside capital. Uh, So for those of you writing yourselves off, you really can do a lot. Um, Some other people that have had just uh, incredible, incredible wisdom, Carol Dweck. Do you guys know who Carol Dweck is, the book Mindset? All right, I see one person nodding, two, three. All right, Mindset, anybody taking notes, write this down, these exact words. Mindset is the most important book in the English language. Period. And I'm not kidding. You'll notice I'm not smiling. That's not a joke. Mindset is the most important book in the English language. Period. Don't read it once. Read it three, four, five times, and really, really get into it. And she delineates between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. And I used to have a fixed mindset. I saw what it did to my life. I now have a growth mindset. I see what it does to my life. It will change everything. And that that is the fundamental starting point. Until you embrace a growth mindset, until you believe you can do anything you set your mind to, that talent Uh, and intelligence is not fixed, that they're completely malleable. Um, And and hopefully Dr. Fox will back me up here. I mean, the brain rewires itself, quite literally. And you can add mass to a given region of the brain simply by making more demands of that region. Uh, And if you don't know about myelin, research myelin, and understand how to, back to something Tony Robbins told me, that you're going to create a super highway in your mind, and and you do that. So neurons that fire together wire together. Okay, it's a nice little rhyming thing. By the way, things that rhyme are perceived to be 72% more true. <laughs> yes. So neurons that fire together wire together. 72% more likely to believe that. Um, and what's happening is myelin, which is like a fatty tissue, is. Um, Wrapping around the uh, connection points between the neurons so that the impulses are able to travel more quickly. And that's why you get better at things over time uh, as you practice them because that neurological pathway is, is really um, put together nicely. So Tony Robbins talks about building superhighways. He said most people build superhighways to anxiety and fear. And he said he's just chosen not to do that. And he builds a superhighway to joy and gratitude. And I thought, wow, that's really powerful. And when, once I started thinking of it that way, that I'm actually laying down track in my mind, that I'm building these roads, I better be really cognizant about what roads I'm building, because you're gonna get super efficient at traversing a certain path. And by default, because it keeps us alive, usually that path is anxiety and fear. Uh, because it's way better for me not to be up here talking, because now I risk ridicule, I risk being ostracized, and being ostracized registers in the pain centers of the brain, which is crazy. Uh, So you actually experience physical pain, so there's all kinds of reasons not to put myself in this situation, uh, and very few to do it. So you'll find that just building that superhighway really diminishes your life, so that was a really powerful thing. Um, Carol jumps out at me. Anybody know Feras is a hobby? All right, nobody. Okay, Faraz Sahabi is the modern-day Bruce Lee, and I consider it my moral imperative to make him famous. So he came on the show. He is, um, anybody know George St. Pierre? Okay, if you know George St. Pierre, tonight when you get home, just punch yourself in the mouth for not knowing who Faraz Sahabi is, because that's who cha- trains George, uh, and I think George would give a lot of credit to our boy Faraz. Um, and Faras is a modern day warrior philosopher. And he has a degree in philosophy and he is a jujitsu practitioner and MMA coach of TriStar Gym. He's unbelievable. This guy's incredible. Go watch every video he's ever made. It's just really, really unbelievable what this guy is able to do with his mind. Um, really powerful. And just the blending of um, philosophy and uh, one simple thing that he said to me about courage. And he said, I train so that I can choose to be courageous. And I just thought that was really interesting that he talks about that being a choice and it's something that you have to develop and you have to be ready to be courageous, right? So even coming up here, which for me is, it certainly takes courage, I've prepared for this and I've prepared a lot and I'm, I'm not rolling up, um, you know, in my galoshes and uh, whatever, raincoat. But even him, like his story is, well, that's what I wear all the time to herd the sheep and all that. And, you know, it's a pretty profound tale of somebody who obviously had put in the reps. So put in the reps. Those are but a few. And
0: uh, you know, it's interesting to build your own personal uh, identity and esteem, and how you, um, you built a culture at, at Quest Nutrition that was transformative for employees. So I want to talk two things. Chopei, when you can put the 25-point the bullet points up for, for, for Quest, but I want you to tell
1: how you hire people
0: at Quest. And what you're looking for, because the interviews are just different.
1: Yeah, yeah, very very different. Um, Well, I used to hire ex-drug dealers. We're back. (laughs) It's inside (laughs) Quest. Um, We used to hire ex-felons, former drug dealers, gang members. um, All true, by the way, and my hypothesis went like this. If you guys have ever worked in the inner city, so you guys live, most of you I'm sure around here, so you live in the inner city right now. Take advantage of that, right? So when I first got to USC, I was so mortified—you can't imagine—by where the school was placed. I had no idea. I felt totally bamboozled. Uh, so I got here and realized, oh my god, I'm in the middle of where the, all the riots happened. Um, and then really plugged into the inner cities and and worked with Troy Camp and did some big brothering with a local kid in the inner cities and. Um, and really got familiar with what I refer to as generational poverty, which has nothing to do with money and has everything to do with mindset. Um, you can have somebody who's just capable of the extraordinary, but they're not interested in money and therefore have none. And Then you can have you know, people that are wealthy but just have an absolutely spastic mindset. So This was for me about encountering people that had no hope and they had no vision, and they couldn't think beyond the very narrow scope of their world. Um, And so getting involved in that really made me want to hire people that all shared one thing, and that was they, they weren't worried about who they were today. They were trying to become something, and they were willing to pay an extraordinary price to become that person. And what I found was people that grew up without hope, if you could give them hope of a better life, that you could teach them skills that they could get out of the drug trade, which, believe it or not, most people don't want to be there, and who, like really fast, show of hands, who thinks they know what you're actually selling when you sell drugs? Because it's not the drug. I'll just help you with that. What's the answer? Personality? No, you're selling risk. If you, like, you want to be an entrepreneur, you really have to boil things down. What are you actually monetizing? So when you're selling drugs, the reason you can make so much money is it's illegal. And so you're risking going to jail. And most people aren't willing to do that, right? So I'm looking at it going, wow, there's a lot of money to be made in there. So maybe I don't do it for moral reasons, but maybe that's not my thing. Uh, especially if it's weed, right? Like, Jesus Christ, like, people be smoking weed. Uh, So I'm certainly not passing a moral judgment on that. But even if that's not my thing, I'm still not going to do it because I don't want to go to jail, right? So realizing that these guys are incredibly talented entrepreneurs who just recognize that what they have to offer is that they're willing to monetize risk. So super, super interesting. So I was bringing those guys in by the droves. We had people standing in line outside to interview because we put the word out in the neighborhood that we don't care if you have a felony record and we don't look at resumes. And so for the first, I don't know, I've done like 1,500 interviews, which doesn't sound like a lot until you do the math and realize it's like three to five on average per day, every day. That's a lot of time to be interviewing people. It's really draining and it takes so much energy. But in doing that, you begin to thin slice. Who knows what thin slicing is? Wow. Okay. You're gonna you're gonna want to get really good at thin slicing. You're all doing it right now. Uh, Every time you meet somebody, you thin slice them, and you just have like a general feeling, like good dude, bad dude, whatever. I have an angry neutral face, so I actually thin slice really badly. If you saw me coming behind you, especially with like some heavy overhead lighting, like you're gonna think, ooh, something bad is about to shake down here. Uh, But if my wife, who's nice and petite and bright and sunny, like she comes behind you, you think, nah, nothing to worry about. That is thin slicing. Okay. Now. As you interview people, you begin to get really good at thin slicing. So, I didn't look at resumes. So, people would come in and I would ask them really weird questions. And I was trying to figure out one thing What do you really want out of life? Because I want to know how hard you're going to work. And I'm looking for people that work hard, smart, and long hours. Now, why all three? And people always say, Well, Tom, if you're working long and you're working hard, or sorry, if you're working hard and you're working smart, why do you have to work long hours? Because if you don't, I'm going to eat your lunch. Right? Because I'm working hard, I'm working smart, and I'm working long hours. So if you really want to be successful, to me, man, it is about just working harder than other people. That, that really is a, a big thing. So I didn't want people coming in that were just trying to win the job. I wanted people that were assessing the opportunity and really felt like for whatever reason, when they were at their most selfish, that job was right for them. Because the only thing you can trust other people to be is selfish. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Right? Like, think about Do you guys know Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs? All right. So at the bottom of Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, it is totally selfish, it is all about you. And it has to be, right? Because it's about survival. So I think that that selfishness actually carries up a lot farther than anybody wants to think. And so the key for me is to align yourself with people's selfish desires. And that's the key. And if you look at the people that um, we brought onto Quest, and we didn't always get it right, but I was always looking for people for whom their most selfish desire was aligned with mine. So the more selfish I was being, the better I was for them, and the more selfish they were being, the better they were for me. Um, So that was a big deal. Now, as we matured, and I actually think I was really bad at recognizing the transition, where I used to have to big dog people. So imagine you've got me sort of... um, you know, educated white kid from Tacoma interviewing like all these hardened gang members, former felons, like they would try to back me down and they would do what's called big dogging, right? They would try to stare me down, they would try to get me to back down. And so I knew that I couldn't do that. So my interview techniques used to be so weird that people would ask me if they could sit in on it. I cannot tell you how many ex-gang members I had crying in a job interview. Like, have you ever seen people with the teardrop tattoo? (laughs) And I'm not kidding. You know what the teardrop means, right? Now all people will say that you killed. If you ask them what it means, the only thing they will tell you is, this is a quote, I've put in work for the neighborhood. Okay? I don't presume to know what put in work means, but I will tell you it is only the baddest ass people that have the teardrop tattoo. But these are guys with like tats crawling up their neck, and I had to show them there's only one alpha in the room, right? And so, and look, I get it. Where we end up, this is so weird, it's such a weird beginning. But we had Bloods and Crips working on the line at the same time. And in the interviewing process, I had to essentially break them down so that we could build them back up. Because they were coming in ultra-aggressive, really hot. And one guy, this is my favorite story. So this kid, former drug dealer, very good at his job. Uh, His stepfather was shot in the head and bled to death in his arms um, from gang violence. And in, in prison, out of prison. And he grew, he's Hispanic, but he grew up, his stepfather was black. So he was part of the black gangs. So he goes to prison, and you have to claim something. Now, 99.99999% of people claim their race. So he gets to prison, they tell him to claim, and he claims black. And they, they ostracize him. And, and it's, it's just mayhem. And so they stage a riot. And the sole goal of staging the riot is to kill him. But he finds that out early. but. Um, he has like these razor mark cuts on his back because that's, they cut you with razor blades, which he said are just gnarly and they always tell you don't touch it because when you touch it, it like then spreads. Anyway, these are cr- crazy stories. <laughs> um, so this kid, that's him, right, goes to jail on a gun charge, is sitting across from me doing the big dog thing, staring me down, and it's an interview with three people, and I point at him and I say, you have anger management problems. And he fucking goes stone cold blank. And he was like, how did you know that? Now, what I didn't know, (laughs) he had just come from an anger management class that had been court appointed. So now, you you make a call, right? Like, I make calls like that all the time. I remember one time saying to this woman, you're really into ballet. And she flipped out. She was like, how did you know that? And I just made some shit up. But the truth was, and I don't even remember what it was about her demeanor that made me think, it could have been as dumb as she had a bag and there were literally like ballet slippers hanging out of it. And you just make this call and then people give you feedback and then it, you know, just spins. So he had literally driven directly from anger management to that interview. I say you have anger management problems. Not really hard to guess, by the way, when they're staring at you like this. You know, it's like, okay, not a tough one here, chief. So I pull him out, and I, I say, look, you've got a lot of potential. Because you see that spark in somebody's eyes, right? When you've done as many interviews as I've done, you learn what to see. I was really good at thin slicing people. And so I can tell, this guy's got a shot to be really good. Because it, it truly is not about your skill set. It's about your willingness to become something. And I could just see this guy's really got it. And so I took him for a walk, and I said, look, you've got a lot of potential, but you're fucking angry. I cannot have you bringing that anger on the floor. So if you can tell me right now that you'll make use of the opportunity that I'm going to give you and you'll work your ass off to become somebody, then I'll give you the shot. But it's just a shot, right? Like Morpheus says, there's a difference between knowing the path and walking the path, Neil. I can only lead you to the door. I can't make you walk through. So... I gave him that whole speech and he was like, dude, I will do it. And in eight months, he went from minimum wage line worker to one of our highest level production people making a six figure salary. He's still there today, like five years later. An absolutely incredible transformation. It's affected him, his kids. I mean, just it is insane what, what has happened to this man. And he's like looking to start his own business now. I mean, just a beautiful, beautiful story of human transformation. Um, and that all came out of that interview process of really trying to get to the heart of who he is and what he wanted to do and the no bullshit and like totally disregarding all social convention and just cutting to the heart. And look, I've had some people that that were totally turned off and absolutely flipped out just in the interview process because I would keep pushing and pushing and pushing and asking questions like one of my favorites. A magic genie is gonna walk in the door and you can ask for one thing and one thing only. You can't wish for anything for anybody else no curing cancer, bringing your mom back from the dead. It's gotta be for you. What do you wish for? Why do you say that? People actually start there. Did you guys hear what he said? A job. All right, motherfucker. A magic genie walks in, and you ask for a job? Like, which one of us is high right now? Like, that's crazy. And if I could just make a suggestion, if a magic genie comes in, don't ask for a job. So. But you would be astonished how often people would say that. And so I'd say, I call bullshit. You're obviously saying that. Look, I get it. It's totally weird dynamic. You're here to win the job. Don't try to win the job. Try to assess the opportunity. Let's figure out what you want. I'm going to try to lower my guard and be as defenseless as I can. Let me tell you something about myself. I want to be a Jedi. That was always my thing. I don't want to wield a lightsaber. That's not my shtick. But I'm really into these are not the droids you're looking for. Okay, that's my whole thing. I'd go into neuroscience, like why it was important to me and how, what I mean by influence and the kind of influence that I want to have. And so then people would start really opening up and, and you know, telling me about who they wanted to be. And so because it became like this sort of weird therapy session where people were talking about the weird relationship they had with their mom or not feeling like they were good enough or not loved or whatever, people would literally, because they had been through it, they would want to come sit in on the interviews. But I didn't let people do it because you can't get into the state that you need to get people into. But if you're ever on the other side of the desk, Assess the opportunity. Don't try to win the job. Make sure it's right. You, it's it's a great tactic for
0: you want to get as deep as quickly as possible. You, you know everybody's going to say the right things in an interview. The resume's usually not true, and so <laughs> you know, I mean like look, your resume tells you all the great things you did in your life. It doesn't tell you anything about your failures. Doesn't tell you anything about, you know what makes right. you you, uh, and that's what you want. You want someone who you know. You want someone who says, you know, I just work harder than everybody, or I've got, you know, do they demonstrate grit? Do they demonstrate, you know, optimism, gratitude, the things that you, you know, that are consistent with the values of the company and that what you're trying to do that fits in. So, you know, you want to ask questions that aren't typical. And uh, and it gets to it. I I want them to ask questions um, that uh, aren't typical. Um, I'm almost afraid to do that, but um, no, I I want you talking with them directly. So do we have the mic available? And then uh, we'll we'll have some questions from them. You know, feel free to ask questions about this. I I think this is one of the greatest, you know, culture-building ethos uh, I've ever seen. Questions? Hands. Don't be shy. So if a genie comes to you, what would be the, the one thing you want to ask?
1: All right, I have thought about this a distressing amount, so here we go. The ability to manipulate matter through simple thoughts. So imagine you have cancer. No, you don't. That's a healthy cell now. Um, There's no oxygen in space. Yes, it is. The super vacuum is now breathable. Or I don't need oxygen anymore because, you know, whatever. I mean, you could just transcend anything. So space, time, money, all of it becomes irrelevant at that point. And I have an obsession with living forever. And that was the best way I could think of to live forever. So. There it is, but even I worry about what I would do with that uh, power, even just upgrading yourself would get to a pretty crazy point where you could no longer like deal with other human beings, which my wife warns me against all the time, but uh, yeah My name's Josh. I want to thank you for coming in and thank you for about the hundred free quest bars I got from the FedEx for the last week a couple of nice. weeks ago so um i've I've been like a loyal quest consumer for years now and Uh, You guys sprouted up big in the YouTube fitness community and uh, really pushed that as a marketing strategy. So can you talk about uh, your role as a marketing officer and what you did to really expand the brand? Because no other bar or nutrition company in your field does anything like that. Absolutely. Who in here plans to start their own company? Nice. All right. God. Have I not said the entrepreneurial generation? Here we are, boys and girls. So. This is, this is something you guys are all going to want to recognize and take advantage of, and it will answer your question. Uh, you're living through the greatest time to start a company ever. Uh, one, you have access to just an insane amount of information, but more importantly, you have the ability to deliver value and having the act of delivering value become your greatest marketing message. So when I say I open myself to being changed by a book, I mean that. I read Tim Ferriss's The 4-Hour Workweek. I read the line, find your 1,000 screaming fans. And that changed everything from the kinds of companies that I was willing to build to how I was going to market. So I was making security software. No one wanted to talk about it because security software is what you need when you don't have systems in place and you have employees that are trying to steal from you. right? So no one's going to stand up and shout about that. So I wanted to get away from that. I wanted to be in a business where you could deliver Deliver value to people at a moment where they were excited. It was going to be all about transformation. We wanted to celebrate that and we wanted to find people that we could really help. So we um, wrote letters to an untold number of people that were highly tailored and customized to them and said, hey, fitness uh, influencer, we know who you are. We're really impressed with the content that you're putting out. We think that this product would be valuable in your life. We want to send you some for free. All we ask is that you talk about it. So if you hate it, say you hate it. And if you love it, say you love it. And we knew it was our job to make sure that way more people loved it than didn't. And so we knew that there were people out there that had a big megaphone. People were listening to them. And they were listening because they were walking billboards, right? There were people with six-pack abs. And let me tell you, when you have six-pack abs, people come up to you and they say, what did you do to get those? And so we wanted to target all those people and make sure when somebody asked them that question that the answer was, I ate a Quest Bar. And so we were just hell-bent on that mission to get product in the hands of people that other people listened to and to build a business giving away the product because we knew that it delivered value. And at the end of the day, if you have a great product and then you focus on delivering value at every touch point in your company, including sales, including marketing, including customer support, that every person in your company that a customer touches, they feel a little bit better about that experience, then now you've got something. Because we live in a world where everyone has a megaphone, right? Because you guys are going to tweet about me today, at Tom Billu. Uh, you're going to tag me in something on Instagram at Tom Bilyeu, right? You're going to let people know that you were blown away by the hashtag amazing things I was saying about being a hashtag entrepreneur. Um, and because we live in that world, now adding value becomes truly the greatest marketing message that you could ever have. And it spreads. When it's real, it spreads. And if it's not spreading, got some real bad news for you. It's not real. The market is giving you the feedback. Listen.
0: Uh, hey, uh, my name is Malik. Thanks for coming out. Um, I have a quick question for you. So you mentioned out a podcast, you said evangelize a customer. So how do you mean by that? And also how do you build an online presence as well as how do you make people believe in your uh, mission? Is it through like transparency? Is it the ingredients? Is it this the quest bar? What is it?
1: So um, how do you get people to believe in you? Getting people to believe in you in today's world, I think, has everything to do with authenticity and a lot to do with transparency. And I would be lying if I said that um, transparency to me from a business perspective, even from a social perspective, is not about showing every aspect of your life. Okay, I don't do that. Um, There's parts of my life that I'm going to keep to me, and I don't think they add value anyway, so um, I'm not going to show that. But being authentic, like you're never, everything that I've said here today, some of it may be weird, some of it may be offensive or counterintuitive, but all of it is real. Like everything I've told you is true about my experience, right? Um, Even the part about when I said I think I was bad at recognizing the transition when I needed to stop interviewing like I was interviewing drug dealers and realize now I'm interviewing high level execs and they were really fucking tripped out by my interview style. Um, And so, you know, you're not gonna get everything right, but If you're being authentic and open with people, they feel like they can connect. People want to relate with companies. And here, I will give you the best piece of advice that I could give you. People, especially your generation, they make one demand of companies. Tell me who you are. They want to know who you are. Who you are, right? The people behind the company. They don't want people hiding behind the corporate veil anymore. They want to know who you are. They want to know what you stand for. They want to know what you're doing with the money that they're giving you through your products. Right? They want to know what's happening. They want to know what you're fighting for. And in that, you're going to find your tribe. You're going to find people who really resonate with that. Like when we had people writing us because we helped them lose weight, or because we helped them with their dad who was a diabetic, or their daughter was anorexic, and we helped them put on good weight, or add muscle, right? We were catching people at this beautiful moment of transformation and then celebrating them and letting them know, our mission is to end metabolic disease. Like we're never going to give you something with sugar. It would be cheaper. It would be so much easier. But we're not going to do it because it violates our mission. And so people knew what we stood for. And we really did come out on the cusp. We were like super awkward about like, our social presence in the beginning. Because look, if you follow me on Facebook, it's still going to tell you that my birthday is January 1st. I'll just tell you that's a lie. Okay? No need to wish me a happy birthday on January 1st. That is not my birthday. But when I first created my Facebook account, I was so sketched out about Facebook, I thought, someone's going to mug me. I don't, they're going to steal my identity by knowing my birthday. Now it's like, I mean, this was, you know, whatever, seven years ago. So now it's just a totally different world. Um, so evangelizing, to get to the other part of your question, evangelizing is going way beyond leaving a good impression, making them feel good about the experience. You've got to make them so blown away and feel like you did something so valuable to their lives that they owe it to you to go tell somebody about you, right? So that, that's when you evangelize. So we wanted to do that. I'll give you guys an example of one of the ways we'd evangelize a customer. This is a true story. I still can't believe this is true. Customer wrote in, hey, you left the package on my doorstep. My dog got out and ate the bars. I want a refund. (laughs) I'm not FedEx, so let's start with that. FedEx left the package on your doorstep. And I really can't control what your dog does. Sounds like you need a better fence. Um, But we didn't say that, because that's not going to evangelize that customer. So we were like, oh my god, I'm so sorry. And here's not only a refund, but we're gonna give you a replacement product. So now that person's like, whoa, I can't believe these guys went this hard. Or another example, the first time somebody wrote in and said, I found a hair in my bar. I personally wrote them back and I said, that is so disgusting. I'm literally horrified right now that you found a hair in your bar. I know that we're gonna to have to work so hard to win your trust back, so first of all, we're gonna audit all of our procedures to find out because that's just nasty. And they posted it online. And they said, I so thought these guys would try to find a way to make it my fault. And they didn't. They refunded me. They offered to send me free product. And they just owned how gross it was. And you can still find it. If you search for my name plus customer support, it'll come up. (laughs) And and by the way, that's another thing. When you're a young upstart, I was the co-founder and president of the company. I was also the head of customer service. So you'll see things online from both. It's all me. But that's how you evangelize. You go so far above and beyond what people expect that they they just can't help but tell other people about you.
0: Hi, my name is Jacqueline, and I have a question for you. Um, You talked a little bit about your family, and that was like the mission for starting this whole business. And I was wondering how they're doing now and the struggle with obesity.
1: That, that's a great question. So my sister has lost over 120 pounds since we founded the company. She's run three half marathons now and gone from clinically depressed to just a joy to be around. It is, it is an astonishing transformation. That's totally her. She gets to own it, um, but she'll be the first to tell you that Quest was the catalyst and the first thing that she felt like somebody was saying, I want to give you something that you want to eat, that you can move towards instead of just saying, eat less and exercise more, which just hadn't been a winning solution for her. Um, but that's been amazing. But my mom hasn't lost a gram. And in fact, it's probably put on weight since we launched the company. And it's just such a reminder that there's so much more work that needs to be done and that this is really a game of psychology, as the good doctor will tell you, um, which is why I founded my new company, which is Impact Theory, which is all about dealing with the psychology, of wellness and really getting to how you can um, address wellness on a global scale and not just physical wellness. The U.S. dollar's value is being rapidly eroded and if you want to have at least some of your investable dollars and assets that can't be inflated, you should look at gold. Gold has proven to be a good long-term store of value since literally the Roman times, which is why even though I have the vast majority of my holdings in crypto, I have a percentage of my portfolio in gold. And if you're interested in learning more about gold, I recommend you contact American Hartford Gold. If you tell them I sent you, you can get up to $15,000 of free silver on your first qualifying order. Click the link in the description or call 866 934 4005 or text impact to 65532 again that's 934 4005 or just text impact to 65532 or click the link in the description please remember there is always risk involved in investing and there is absolutely no guarantee of any kind Hey,
0: so my name is Sam Dillon, and um, I also own a company called Quest, but, um, my so, man. yeah. Good it's name. It's not about nutrition, but anyways, um, curious, like, what advice you have for, like, a young entrepreneur who's, like, going into a uh, partnership?
1: About partnerships specifically?
0: Like going into a partnership. So, I'm not a partner with another guy, so I'm curious, like, what your thoughts are on that? Uh, I, I'm
1: a huge believer in partnerships, huge, huge believer in partnerships, and, um, at Impact Theory, everybody in the company has ownership. Um, my wife and I intentionally created the ultimate divorce scenario where we own exactly um, equal shares, which our lawyer was like, hey, I'm not sure that's what you want to do. Um, I was in a partnership with the guys at Quest for 14 years, changed everything about my life. Uh, you can just do so much more. So I think it's beautiful I think it's amazing. I think you have to be very careful. I think it is exactly like choosing a spouse, and so you need to be super Careful because when choosing a spouse, the number one criteria is selecting the right person. And I would say that comes down to mindset and it comes down to skills. So if you guys have the same skill set, it's going to be a nightmare because now you're going to compete to do the same thing. If you have different skill sets, now you've really got something, but you have to share a mindset. So for instance, um, one of my partners was very fiscally responsible, very conservative, but we shared the value that you have to chase opportunity. So we agreed that we would rather go broke chasing opportunity than go broke protecting what we had. So because we shared that, it was always easy. And he was there as a countervailing force. And he would very much speak up and fight for his ideas about, hey, we need to really be thoughtful, be careful. Um, but when we came to loggerheads, we would all say, hey, we've agreed at the end of the day that opportunity has to trump um, safety. And so we would move forward. So, But I, you know, in short, partnerships are amazing when you choose correctly. Hi, my name is Matthew. Uh, Could you talk about um, how you engineer your day, how you organize your days, and what would you do if you are in our position as a senior today? Okay, you ready? All right. Hopefully you're recording this, because I'm going to go as fast as I can to get to all the nuance. My daily routine goes like this, and all of you should be doing this. You should get as much sleep as you need. So my morning routine starts the night before. I go to bed at 9 PM, sometimes 8. But I go to bed by 9 PM. I wake up whenever I wake up. I haven't used an alarm in over 10 years. So, but I normally wake up around 2.30, 3 o'clock. So my ass is put in eight hours before the first employee gets to the house. You feel me? So I'm fucking crushing shit. Before, I don't check an email until I've worked for, Jesus probably noon, so I've worked by probably 10 hours before I check my first email. The reason I don't check emails is because that means I don't know what I should be doing with my time, that somebody who might just mythically have sent me an email knows better what I should be doing with my company than me. Be embarrassed if that is your first impulse. So I wake up really early. I don't allow myself to stay in bed more than 10 minutes if I've slept for at least five hours, even though I want to. So I get out of bed. I immediately go to the gym. So I'm in the gym. I'm lucky enough to have a gym in my house. I'm in the gym Uh, within 15 minutes of waking up. I work out five days a week, even though I don't want to because of what it does to the mind. It gives you uh, credibility with yourself. You said you would do it, and you do it. You prove to yourself, I couldn't lift this weight yesterday, I can today. It's all proof positive of the cycle of a growth mindset of learning about how the body and mind affect each other, neurology change, how it's all fucking real. And it becomes so apparent in the gym. You also feel better, which lets you perform intellectually better. Immediately when I'm finished working out, which is normally 45 minutes to an hour, I immediately meditate. I use a technique of meditation called Just Breathe. I learned it from a Navy SEAL named Mark Devine. At Mark Devine, he's amazing. I used to think meditation was too feminine, so I stayed away from it for years. That was asinine. I cannot believe I did that. (laughs) Uh, when a Navy SEAL told me that it was a badass thing to do, then my dumb ass finally gave it a try. It worked amazingly because what's at work here? And when I understand it from a physiological perspective, that's when I can get behind it. What I realize is meditation is balancing two systems. You have the sympathetic nervous system, fight, flight, or freeze. And then you have the parasympathetic nervous system, which calms you down. Okay, So if you're in fight, flight, or freeze mode, always stressed, always going, and you don't ever get that countervailing force, you're going to be running in the red too much. You're going to start to get heightened levels of anxiety. I will tell you I struggle with anxiety, so for me this was a real breakthrough to be able to learn to manage my levels. I think of anxiety as background radiation, and my job through meditation is to reset that background radiation so I can think more clearly. So once I finish my just-breathe meditation, I immediately go into what I call thinkitating. Okay. Thinkitating, when you meditate, you put yourself into an alpha wave brain state. It's the most creative of brain states. You're going to make unique connections between weird areas of your brain. It's why people say that they come up with their best ideas after sleeping, because you pass through an alpha wave state as you're waking up and when you're falling asleep. So That's why you often, like, right as you're drifting off, you'll have this brilliant idea and you wake yourself up to write it down. Or the same thing as you're just coming out of sleep, you can create that through meditation. So I try to capitalize on that through thinkitation. I try to pick my problem the night before so I don't waste my meditation buzz trying to come up with a problem that I'm trying to solve. But I give myself a big problem that I'm struggling with, a monetization path or whatever, better content. And then when I'm in that alpha wave state, I start thinking, thinking about that through Thinkitation. Once I finish that, then I have a list. Actually that's not true. You almost let me lie to you. Then I walk my dogs and read an audible book. I take notes on what I read because I try to maximize everything, so I do book reviews. So I keep notes as I'm reading the book, so at the book review phase, it's literally already there and I just have to consolidate it. Once I finish walking the dogs and reading, then I go through a list that I have of the most important things to do. I title it for a reason. With that title, it makes me really question every day, are these really the most important things that I need to do? I go through that list obsessively until I've moved everything on that list forward. If I skip it two days in a row, I delete it. It clearly isn't important. So I'm constantly pruning that list, pruning that list, pruning that list, Um, and I usually don't delete things and put it in the ether. It actually gives me a little bit of anxiety to do that, so I'll actually move it just to another list so that I have it. Maybe once a quarter, I'll go back and look at the things that seemed important at one point but no longer are important now. Once I've moved all of that stuff forward, now I'm sort of usually midday-ish. Um, and then the rest will be very specific to my industry. So those are all the things that I think everyone should be doing. And you can go to our website to find more about our our morning routine, impacttheory.com.
0: Hey, I'm Dean, thank you so much for coming. Um, I find it fascinating how many people you interviewed, and I'm wondering what are some of the biggest mistakes you think people make in trying to make a good first impression?
1: Ooh, interesting. Um, to be anything but, I'll give you two, to be unprepared, and now I'm talking specifically like in, in a meeting or, um, you know, like a job interview or... Is, was that more from a job interview perspective because we can go really heavy on that? Um, it's so content or context specific. So I'll give you job interview. Maybe is the most important, especially because you guys are all going to be nearing that moment where you go out and and what do you do next? Or if you're an entrepreneur and you want to start a company and you're meeting somebody in a business meeting, it's all the same thing. uh, Be really, really prepared. So my father-in-law, who was really the first successful person that I met, gave me a piece of advice that I ignored for five years. I have since apologized because it was such amazing advice, and I can't believe I didn't put it into immediate practice. And he said, whenever you're going into a situation, know more about that situation than anybody else. And I was like, my actual answer to him was, yeah, my boss doesn't really go for stuff like that, which is so stupid. Everybody goes for value. Um, So now my interview, um, what I've become famous for as an interviewer is to know so much about the person that I'm interviewing that, what would you guys say, 60% of the time they'll comment on it. In the middle of the interview, we've had people stop interviews and just be like, Jesus, you know more about me than my mother. Um, and, and that to me is just critical. And you can really take control of a situation because, for instance, in an interview, um, I know the story they're about to tell, and they don't know that I know the story they're about to tell, and I even know where that story branches off. And so, if I think, ooh, when they go that way, not so interesting, but when they go this way, very interesting, and I can steer them to that one. Um, or in an interview, I'll come in with a 30, 60, 90-day plan, and I won't waste time saying the first 30 days I'm going to learn about the company and what you guys need. I'm going to say, hey, look, it goes without saying that I'm going to take uh, as much time as needed to really understand what's going on. But rather than cheap out with that, here I'll give you my first productive 30, 60, 90, and it will be highly tailored to their company. They're going to be really unnerved about what I know about their company because they don't realize how many people are leaking information out into the social world. Everything you've ever wanted to know about any company that you're going to start an industry. like Think of all the things that I've told people about how to start a nutrition company just here today, right? Let alone all the other interviews that I've done. You can find out so much about a company. Learn what they really need. Don't be afraid to give them real suggestions so you don't have to just blow smoke. Like go going and tell them, hey, this is what I think you do well, but this is what I think you need to improve on. And show how you think you can add value. Do it with humility. And people will see, whoa, if I hire this person, I'm really going to get a lot. Um, so preparation, humility, um, those are some really key ones.
0: Hi, my name Alex. Thank you for coming in. One question I have for you is all the people that you've interviewed on your show or that you've met in your personal life. What's one question that you make sure that you ask all of them?
1: I used to ask people, what do you consider a life well lived? Um, and the reason that I was asking in the beginning was I didn't have an answer for myself. And so it was very interesting. And I heard enough answers that it began to codify in my own mind what my answer was. Um, and, and I also find that that is very clarifying. And, because it's, when you're answering what's a life well lived, right, lived is the, the action that you're doing the whole time. So it's about something that I could or should be doing right now today and you get a real glimpse into people's value system. And I, don't, I think people think about legacy a lot of times, but that puts your eyes towards dying and what you want to leave behind. And because I believe that when you die, it's like a light switch turned off and, and it's just, there's nothingness. Um, so I'm certainly not worried about what people think of me after I'm dead, it has no relevance. But I'm very interested in what I think about myself today um, and, and what it means to you know really live a, a life. So that's the most common question.
0: Hey, thanks for coming in. Uh, my name is Nick. Do you have an ultimate life goal, anything like that? Uh, something that you're really striving for in the future with impact theory specifically?
1: Yeah, so um, my the reason that I'm on this earth is to pull people out of the matrix. Um, it completely changed my life in, in just ways that I could never really begin to explain um, from being borderline depressed um, to understanding that depression is a brain chemistry state, it's about brain wiring and, and neurochemistry, and that um, try to be unhappy and laugh out loud at the same time. Right, that there are all these weird little hacks, and if you haven't like do the research, it's insane. Have somebody rate their happiness while holding a pencil in their mouth, and they'll rate themselves higher just because the physiology of holding yourself uh, in the rough smile makes you feel happier. So learning all of those things by thinking of the world through the matrix terms that this is all code and there are ways and things that you can do to hack that code um, it really, really has, has changed me. And then I want to live in a world where we find the next 1,000 Elon Musks. So I don't plan to go to Mars, but the fact that Elon Musk is willing to do that and learn about rocket science and build the technology to do it makes my life brighter because it, it makes me dream even bigger. And I just want to be a around things like that. And I want um, yeah, I just want to be a part of that and, and totally selfishly and from a just ego maniacal standpoint, I want really high achievers to say it's all thanks to Tom. That's just true. And by the way, I don't know like if we'll be able to get away with it because I'm sure there are facilities rules, but I have a rule when I give talks, as long as there are questions to be asked, I will give answers. So I will stay until they force us out of the building and then I'll stand outside. Uh, and answer questions because it's my mission. I want to evangelize you. But be careful. I've done this before for like nine hours, and I promise you will break before I do. Hi, my name is Aaron. Uh, this isn't so much related to Quest, but I'm just curious. What was the last like, new thing you learned, and why did you want to learn to do it? Ooh, what's the last thing? So I'll give you a tip With questions like this. People are always going to grab a recent thing that they can remember because my brain is spinning right now to try and be authentic to your question. Um, Yeah, what's the last thing that I've learned? Good Lord, I don't have a good answer for you. So let's talk about what's something that's... um, Here's something very powerful that I learned at Quest, um, which is that good intentions do not always yield good results. And you have to steer by results. So um, we had get we were trying to do this Passion Friday thing, and so if you guys know Google's twenty percent time, which I just think is amazing, it's so smart to give people twenty percent of their work hours to do whatever project they want that they believe could legitimately help the company. And so we tried it out in a division, and it was an abysmal failure, and was like super super embarrassing because I couldn't get it to work, and I was just like, but this should work, uh, and it didn't. So, but you have to steer by the results. So. That was that was pretty powerful. That you know we're not judged by our intentions. We're judged by our results. And you really have to let the market, for lack of a better word, tell you if you're doing the right thing. So even though I emotionally felt like I I was just giving a gift of the highest order, it didn't serve anybody. Not them. Not the company. They they actually got super anxious about it. And didn't know how they should be spending their time. It was really fucking weird. Um, so yeah, I, I have not cracked that nut. So. We'll do,
0: we'll do one more.
1: Yeah, most definitely. Because have some other Yeah, other yeah, for sure. Totally get it.
0: Tom, this is a question commonly asked by our friend Tim. If you could have a billboard anywhere in the world with anything on it, where would it be, and what would it say?
1: OK, you ready for this one? It would say, very simply, it's all your fault. <laughs> now, this is the most controversial idea that I have. It's the one that generates the most hate. And when I post this socially, people go ape shit crazy. <laughs> now, I'm going to walk you through why I believe this. So, yeah, I'll walk you through. So my wife, she's British. Let's say that she was back home with her mom in London in the house that she grew up in. And the doors are locked, the alarm is on, she's sleeping in the room that she grew up in, she is safe and sound. And right at that moment, a meteorite comes screaming through the atmosphere, crashes into her bedroom, and kills her. Whose fault is that? Now, whenever I ask this question, people say that it's dumb luck, it's nobody's fault, divine providence, fate, whatever the case may be. But for me, the answer is very clear, it's my fault. Now, how do I know it's my fault? And when you hear this, you're gonna see the truth of what I'm saying. There is a group right now tracking what are called near-earth objects. They have mapped the collision course of like, some just untold thousands of meteorites, space debris, all things that could collide with the Earth. They are trying to come up with some way, either a laser, planted nuclear explosion, whatever the case may be, to be able to knock them off course so that they don't crash into the Earth. Now, I know they exist. I know where they are. I've never given them a dime of money. I've never called to give encouraging words. I've never sent an email with ideas on things they should pursue. And I think that's the right answer, because I think the likelihood of my wife being killed by a meteorite is very, very slim. So it would be, in my mind, an inappropriate allocation of time and effort to protect against that. But if it ends up killing her, I'm not going to waste time blaming somebody else when I know I could have done something about it. So, but the reason that I do that, the only reason, is not so I'll feel badly about myself, because I won't. I would say this is all your fault, and thank God, because you're in control. You could have done something differently, and you're going to be smarter next time. And that's all I want people to remember. It's, and I'm trying to remind myself. And do I use the word fault to get people's... Attention? Yes. And do I know it's a trigger word? Yes. But if you can face that, that it's all your fault, but that wasting time feeling badly about yourself for failing does not make sense because you should only do and believe that which moves you towards your goals. So if feeling that I was an idiot for doing that moves me towards my goals, I'll feel like I'm an idiot for the exact amount of time that that serves me. And if feeling that, no, it's simply a reminder that I'm in control serves me, then that's what I'll believe. But truly, truly, everything in your life is in your control. You can change anything you want. There is always a different outcome that could have been had. And to remember that, that you're always in the driver's seat, that there's always something new that you could learn, that you could get better at, man, it just, you will accomplish so much more. It's ridiculous.
0: We've got so much. I saw all you guys taking furious notes. What do you give a guy who's got everything, right? Let's give him the things that you were going to remember five years from now, ten years from now, lessons, advice, Anecdotes, try and minimize the swearing. No, just let it rip, whatever you've got. All right, who's got, what are you gonna remember five years from now, hands? It's all your fault. Go ahead.
1: It's all your fault. Willingness to grow, learn, and push yourself. Change your identity.
0: Human potential is limitless. Evangelize your customer. Good intentions
1: don't always yield good results.
0: Opportunity trumps safety. Speak Speak up, up, please. I've decided that I can do this stuff and therefore I can.
1: Align yourself with the selfish desires of other people.
0: Be changed by what you hear, not affected.
1: Take action on what you learn.
0: Whether you think you can or can't, you're right. That's right. With enough focus, energy, and
1: time, anything is possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, steer by good results. We all have a sup- uh, superpower: uh of minds the willingness, and ability to suffer. Sleep as much as you can. Say it again. Sleep as much as you can. Sleep <laughs> as much as you can. <laughs> I've never been afraid of looking stupid.
0: That's a big one, by the way, especially at your age.
1: Luck is when preparation meets opportunity.
0: Don't be afraid to look stupid. Grab the bullet and say no. (laughs) Whether you think you can or you can, you're always right. Respect the
1: power of biology and performance. When it's real, it spreads. And if it's not spreading, it's not real. It doesn't matter where you are. What matters is where you want to go and what price you're willing to pay. Everything
0: around you is a lie. Once you truly believe that, you can tell yourself empowering lies.
1: Wow. Deliver value. People make one demand of companies. Tell me who you are. You won't get laid till you ask. <laughs>
0: Talent and intelligence aren't fixed, they're completely malleable. Right. Have the audacity to realize that everything you believe makes up your entire world.
1: Every excuse you have is bullshit.
0: The world is a like construct. With enough focus, energy, and time, you can do anything you want. We're in the matrix. It's what I miss over here? Come on. Focus on the why. Focus on the why. Human potential is limitless.
1: Passion is energy.
0: Push through the punches. I am unstoppable because I believe I am. Focus on what you can control. Coming up. Oh, passion is the energy to get up every day and keep getting punched in the face. Be open to fundamentally change. The things to your feet becomes who you are. Go. Em- embrace a growth mindset. Put in the reps. You're the average of the five people I spend the most time with.
1: People make one demand of each company. Tell us who you are and what are you doing with our money. Mindset is the most important book in the English language. Be changed, not just
0: affected. Did I miss anybody? Let's thank Tom Bilyeu. <clears throat>
1: thank you guys. Yeah. That was amazing.